We're going to look this morning at verses 8 to 10. These are simple verses. In fact, my seven-year-old daughter has them memorized. And they're familiar verses. As I read them, most of your minds will be running ahead of me. But don't let that cause you to miss their significance. Because these verses contain some profound truths. In fact, I can't think of a more important doctrinal statement in all of Scripture than the one that is made here. Because it brings into focus all that Paul has said in verses 1 to 7, and it provides us with a description of what it really means to be a Christian. And that clearly is a point of confusion to many people today. In fact, if you go out on the street and ask 10 people, what is a Christian and how do you become a Christian, you are liable to get 10 different answers. These three verses give us God's answer. And in these verses, Paul, first of all, gives us a positive statement at the beginning of verse 8. Then he gives us two negative statements to reinforce the positive one at the end of verse 8 and verse 9. And then in verse 10, he sums it all up. And what I would like to do this morning is dissect these verses so that we see everything that is here. We're going to start with his positive statement in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, if you remove the clauses, the central statement is, you have been saved. Now, that's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has been saved. And let me say some things about that phrase. First of all, it implies that you were in trouble. If you were saved, then obviously you were saved from something. You were in great peril. You were in imminent danger. What is it that we were saved from? Well, he describes it in verses 1 to 3. We were dead in sins. We were dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we were doomed to eternal wrath of God. God saved us out of death into life. He saved us out of Adam into Christ. He saved us out of wrath into mercy. Now that word saved is not a real popular term today. Have you noticed that? People get real uncomfortable with that term. You can ask people, are you a Christian? Are you a church member? Are you religious? But don't ask them if they're saved. Because you see, that word implies that they're in trouble which they are. In fact, there are a lot of Christians today who don't even like to use this term, but let me remind you that this term in its various forms, save, save, salvation, is used nearly 200 times in the New Testament. God has a lot to say about being saved. Second thing I'd like to point out about this phrase is that it's a passive concept. If I told you that I was saved out of a burning house, your logical next question would be, who saved you? See, the word saved implies not only that I am in trouble, but that I am helpless. And that's exactly the case, spiritually. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul says that Christ died for us while we were still helpless. And the first verse of our chapter here says that we were dead. Now, I can't think of anything more helpless than a dead person. 
That's who we were spiritually. Third thing I'd like you to notice about this phrase is that it's in the past tense. Sometimes when I ask people if they're saved, they say, well, I'm going to have to wait till I die to find out. But the salvation that Paul is talking about here is not something you have to wait for. If you're a Christian, it's already happened. You have been saved. You have already been brought out of death into life. You have already been delivered from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, that's the two phrases at the beginning of verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. And so when it says salvation is by faith, it means that it comes entirely from God's side. It finds its motive totally in the person of God. And it comes to me in spite of myself. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. God wasn't responding to anything attractive in you. The reason for salvation is His grace. Now, sometimes we're guilty of forgetting that, aren't we? Sometimes we go around and we say, boy, God, you're fortunate to have me as your child. But you see, grace excludes that. Because grace doesn't find its reason in the recipient. Grace finds its reason in the character of God. And when you look at salvation, if you say, that doesn't make any sense, then you're starting to understand grace. Eric said to me over and over at lunch this week, I don't know why. God would show his grace to me. When you're saying that, you're starting to comprehend a little bit about the grace of God. See, we saw that in the first part of this chapter. We were dead. We walked in sin. We were sons of disobedience. We were by nature the children of wrath. We were only deserving one thing, hell. But God saved us. Why? By grace. You know, Paul never got tired of talking about grace. In fact, he mentioned it back in verse 5. If you'll notice there, he's talking. He says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And as Paul's writing this, the way I imagine it is, he's talking about how we have been raised up with Christ, and he gets so excited about it that he starts into, by grace you have been saved. And he says, wait a minute, I wasn't going to say that until verse 8. But he gets so excited, he, he interrupts himself to talk about grace. Then he comes back to his subject and then he gets into it in verse 8. Why? Because he's excited about grace. Why was Paul so excited about grace? Because he had experienced it. When Paul thought back about his past, who did he think about? He thought about Saul of Tarsus. Blaspheming, breathing threats, hating Christ, hating his church, doing the best he could to exterminate Christianity. He was so bad, God couldn't even send anybody to witness to him because Paul would have killed him. So Jesus had to speak to him directly out of heaven. And as Paul reflected on who he was then and who he is now, this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. 
I am what I am by the grace of God. You have been saved by grace through faith. Now, faith is the channel. Faith is the instrument through which salvation comes to us. Faith is the medium through which the grace of God brings salvation into my life. Now, what is faith? Well, faith is something you use every day. When you open a can of soda and start drinking it, you do that by faith because you have no idea what's in the can. When you drink out of a faucet, you do so by faith because you don't know what's coming next. When you drive down a road you've never driven on 65 miles an hour, you are doing so by faith. You don't know if the road's finished. When I fly, I do so by faith. I get in the airplane and I believe I'm going to end up in Denver. That's all faith. I can't fly a plane. I can't land a plane. I go to the doctor by faith. He tells me I've got a disease I can't pronounce. He writes a prescription I can't read. And then I go home with pills I've never seen before. And what do I do? I take them by faith. See, that's the way it is with salvation. God saves us by grace. And we simply believe. We simply trust. We simply receive. Now, Paul adds two negative statements to reinforce what he just said. The first is at the end of verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, what is the word that referring to? What is it that is not of yourselves? Now, some say it's a reference back to the word faith, that Paul is saying, even the faith is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Now, that seems plausible in our English text, but it doesn't make sense in the Greek text. Because in the Greek text, the word faith is in the feminine gender, and the word that is in the neuter, and so they don't correspond. The word he's referring back to is the word saved. He's saying that salvation, which is by grace, through faith, is not of yourselves. And his point is that we didn't do anything. I mean, what can a dead man do to get life? Nothing. Sometimes we lose sight of that and, and we take credit for our salvation. Jackson High School won a state football game yesterday. <clears throat> and when the game was over, those of us from Jackson said, we won. Now, what did we do? I didn't even get my shirt dirty. The football players won, but we identified with them, you see. Jesus Christ conquered death. And he took his victory seat in glory with all the other powers under his feet. And we get to say, we won. Why? Because we're identified with him. That's what Paul's been saying in this chapter. Back in verse 5, he said, God made us alive together with Christ. 
Verse 6, He raised us up with Him. He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What did we do? Nothing. Salvation is not of yourselves. I say I flew in from Dallas a few weeks ago. The truth is I didn't fly in at all. I was flown in. All I did was sit on the plane and eat those little pretzels they give you. Well, you see, that's my part in salvation, too. It's all of God. It's all His doing. And that's why Paul says at the end of verse 8, it is the gift of God. Now, who's responsible for a gift? The giver. And what do I have to do to receive a gift? I just have to open my hands. That's all that faith is. Last month, my seven-year-old daughter celebrated a birthday. And she got a bicycle for her birthday. Now, I'm certain that people didn't say to her, nice bike. Did you make that? Or, nice bike. That must have cost you a lot of money. No, it was a gift. And the very definition of a gift implies that the giver pays the price got a letter in the mail the other day saying that I'd won a trip to Disneyland. said it was a free gift. So I called the 800 number to see about my gift, and they said I was going to have to pay some money for my all-expenses-paid vacation. We see, if I have to pay something, that's not a gift. But God has given salvation as a gift. It is not a of yourselves. Let me just add something to that. You know, some people say, when you ask them if they're, how you become a Christian, they say, you believe plus you do some things. You see, salvation is not of works. It's not even of a little works. If I gave you a gift, let's say I gave you a brand new Lexus. I handed you the keys. I said, it's yours. It's a gift. You reach in your pocket and take a $5 bill and say, here, let me help you with that. What is that? That's an insult. That's what we do to God. We, if, we, if we say, thanks God, let me try to work real hard to pay you for that, it's an insult because it's a gift. And a gift is paid by the giver. Second negative statement he makes to support the positive one is in verse 9. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. The majority of those people who you would ask on the street would say that you become a Christian by acting like a Christian. That you do certain things and you avoid certain things, you live a good life, you help others, and at some point you reach sort of an undefined quota that only God knows, and when you reach that quota, He accepts you. But these verses tell me that a Christian is one who is saved and salvation is not a result of works. Now, the Bible makes that crystal clear. Romans 3.20 says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Romans 3.28, A man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 4.5, To the one who does not work... 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.9, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Titus 3.5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that a person can do impressive deeds, make great sacrifices, show acts of kindness, be religious, and not be saved. Like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. says he fasted twice a week and he paid tithes of all that he got. He looked good in the sight of others. When he died, I'm sure he had an impressive obituary. But Jesus says he wasn't justified. Why not? Because good works cannot save. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous deeds are as a filthy garment. And that phrase literally means a minstrel cloth. All the righteous things that we do in and of ourselves are repulsive in the sight of God. And that's why in Philippians chapter 3, Paul lists his good works. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, an Israelite, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous, righteous, blameless. And then he says, I count all those things as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And that word rubbish is dung, literally manure. That's how valuable works are in salvation. They are horse manure. You see, you don't come to God and say, God, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm just lacking in a few areas. God, I'm almost there. I just need a little jump start. God, I just need a little bit of grace because I'm already in the 96th percentile. No. Salvation is not of works. Not even a little works and not even works that you consider very, very good. In fact, Paul says in Romans eleven six that grace and works are mutually exclusive. And there he says, if you try to add works to grace, then grace is no longer grace. Grace to be grace has to have works completely out of the way. Let me ask you this. What would happen if our salvation was a cooperative effort? If God did his part and we did our part and we met halfway, what would happen? We would be as proud and arrogant and boastful as the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Remember him? He came to God and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Wow, that reeks of arrogance. Thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners and like that tax gatherer over there. God never works in such a way to leave room for our boasting. Remember back in Judges chapter 7 when Gideon was about to go to battle against the Midianites? Midian had, the, the Midianites had 135,000 soldiers against Israel's 32,000 soldiers. And God didn't like the odds. And so he whittled Israel's army down to 300. And then he said, that'll do. You know why? Here's what it says in Judges 7, 2. God says, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, lest Israel become boastful, saying, My own power 
has delivered me. God never works in such a way to allow us to boast. And it's the same way with salvation. It's all God's doing, and it eliminates boasting. Paul said in Romans 3.27, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. And here he says, It's not as a result of works that no one should boast. No one will be strutting around in heaven bragging about how they got there. Because everyone is going to get there the same way, by grace. And the only boasting that will go on there is the only boasting that ought to go on now in the life of every Christian. And that's what Paul mentioned in Galatians 6.14. He said, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you claim to be a Christian here this morning and your idea of a Christian leaves anything to brag about, then you don't know what it is to be a Christian. In closing, let's see how Paul sums this up in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you had any lingering doubts about who accomplishes salvation, this verse clinches it. We are his workmanship. It's God who has done something. We don't work. He has worked. We are his workmanship. That word workmanship is an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word poema, from which we get our word poem. We are God's poem. Some have translated it masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's work of art. You say, well, how could God be calling me a masterpiece? Well, the answer is found in what God is shaping you into. If you turn the page of Ephesians over to chapter 4 and verse 13, we read there what God's working toward. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What is God shaping us into? He is shaping us into the image of God. Of Christ. Romans 8.29 says he predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. Now I would say that's a masterpiece. You say, well, how's he going to accomplish that? He doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Well, look back at chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now mark that word created. See, a Christian is not just a good person. A Christian is not just someone who has improved somewhat. A Christian is not just someone who believes certain things. A Christian is a new person. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are not the old you going in a new direction. You are a new you. And you are not the old you anymore. God has created something altogether new. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are past, new things have come. When I got saved, I didn't just decide to follow Jesus. God moved into my life and created something altogether new. There's a new me, a new spirit inside of me. Look over at chapter 4. He mentions it again, verse 24. He says, put on the new man 
which in the likeness of God has been what? Has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In Colossians 3.10, he says, Put on the new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. If you are a Christian, you are a new creature, not physically, but spiritually. And God is in the process of conforming you to the image of his son. Now, let me add a word of encouragement. It is a process. Maybe you heard about the Sunday school teacher who was teaching her class about creation and she had a young man in there who was particularly rowdy and disruptive and she was saying, God made the trees and God made the birds and God made the rivers and she turned to this little boy in frustration and she said, who was it that made you? And he said, God did, but he ain't finished with me yet. (laughs) Well, if you're a Christian, God is not finished with you yet. But let me add another word of encouragement. Whatever God starts, he finishes. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's molding us and conforming us into the likeness of his Son. And how do we see that in our lives today? Look back at verse 10. He says, He created us in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works. Now, don't get confused here. Good works don't lead to salvation. But salvation leads to good works. And if you'll notice, they are not my works. God prepared them. I don't even get to boast about the works. Because he prepared them beforehand, before I was even made into a new creature. He had already prepared the works, and all I have to do is walk into them. Now, that's an interesting passage, because it starts out in the first three verses telling us how we used to walk in trespasses and sins. And it concludes with our new walk, which is into the good works that God has prepared for us to step into. What's a Christian? A Christian is someone who has been saved out of sin and death into life and made into a new creature who no longer has to walk according to the course of this world into sin but can now walk according to the course of God into good works. And that salvation comes as a free gift of God's grace. I can't do anything to deserve it and I can't do anything to earn it. And so the only boasting is in the cross of Jesus Christ where God paid the price. Now, in closing this morning, I want to ask you, having seen God's definition of a Christian, are you a Christian? Have you ever responded to the grace of God in that simple, childlike faith? Opening your hands to receive what he has so graciously given to you.